Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CXCast. If you hear a difference in sound quality, well, we are temporarily outside of our studio as it's being repaired and worked on and improved. We're in a writing room in Forrester headquarters. This is Sam Stern, joined this week by principal analyst Allegra Burnett, who's up in Cambridge from our New York City office. Hello, Allegra. Hello. And we wanted to talk with you about your very recent report, Digital Customer Experience Trends, 2017. Always a lot of interest in these trends reports, so thank you for stopping by to speak with us about this one. My pleasure, and I should also start by saying this is not just my report. This is a group effort. There's a group of us within the team that gets together every year to sort of reflect on the year, talk about what we saw the past year, look at sort of drivers of what's coming up, and also upcoming trends. So this is sort of the synthesis of several conversations from across the group. Yes, thank you for flagging that at a cast of not quite dozens, but many people involved in the writing of this report. And as you sort of alluded to there, that this isn't something we get into every year, we're also able to look back on our performance from the previous year to see if our predictions played out as we predicted, which is how predictions work or not. And so I'd love to start there, maybe, if we think back on our 2016 version of this report, what netted out the way we expected to and what didn't? If you can give us sort of our good predictions and our bad predictions maybe from last year. I think we started talking about conversational interfaces and artificial intelligence and sort of those technologies that were really emerging. And I think we're going to see that even more so this year. But one of the things we called out last year was around concierge services. So this notion of very customized, personalized experiences. So things like you know, a valet car service that you can use to park your car and then mm. call it up and it'll bring your car to you wherever you are. Well, those definitely carried out through the year, but I think what was really interesting is the sort of reposition that a lot of these concierge service companies did in order to create a more sustainable business. Can you give us an example of one of those changes or pivots, as they would say in startup parlance? One good example is one of these valet car parking companies. Valet Anywhere was, again, a more broad valet service for parking your car, but then what they realized is that people wanted them on demand and they didn't always have the resources of the valets at the time that they needed them. And so one of the things that they really focused on is people who live within cities who really mostly are storing their car and just calling them up for the weekends and where they can give more notice and have more advanced notice. So that was really pivoting toward that particular audience that allowed them to have more notice, park the car further away, and make that sort of business balance work out. But what you do see are a lot of these sort of concierge companies having to do this balance between demand and resources that's really quite challenging to manage and making some adjustments in order to create a more sustainable business in order to match it. Yeah, because, I mean, something that's implied by valet anywhere is almost that there's someone following me around with my car so that... The second I have the inspiration to need to park and don't want to, you know, parking in a city is always hard, they appear magically to park my car for me. And so that's almost like a driver at that point, right? They might as well be a chauffeur and a valet because they sort of have to follow you around that way. Yeah. I mean, we had a very um, <laughs> personal example of this mm. at the end of the year. We were going out to a client advisory day and the account person had used a service called Lux to park his car, and this was in mm -hmm. San Francisco. And when he was coming to pick us up, and when he came to pick us up, he showed up in a zip car. Because when we he went to, to ask for his car from Lux, 
they couldn't find a valet to get it to him in time. He was wow. trying to pick us up in order to get us to the client on time, so he had to go with another <laughs> car sharing Very service. Very resourceful called, account manager there, right? <laughs> called Zipcar. So, yeah, <laughs> so it was really a direct example of how sometimes these sort of resource and demand issues really come into play. Yeah, that's a great example. So, okay, so we saw that the concierge services maybe had to recalibrate a little bit their expectations of being on demand anywhere all the time whenever you had the inspiration. Any other examples of, you know, predictions that maybe didn't play out just as we had predicted they would? Well, of course, everything played out as ah, we So that was the only bad And idea. I should say these are trends, not predictions. Ah, so trends. things that we see happening that will continue to happen over the year. Thank you for that uh, reminder of your title, <laughs> which I read out at the start of the podcast and have already forgotten. So apologies there. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that what was interesting is, is certainly the things that we identified around physical and digital mashups, you know, the mm. sort of fusion between the two, that's really definitely accelerated. You know, should probably come as no surprise. That's definitely a trend. It's not a prediction because it's sort of right. uh, clearly right. happening. But things like Ford had a GoPark app that they were beta testing in London that brings together all this kind of different information around parking regulations and time and things in order to help you figure out where you can legally park your car in Islington. And if you've ever tried to park a car in Islington, this is a very useful app to have. Yeah. So again, that, that sort of combination of bringing together data within a physical location to provide a particular service. So that's definitely something that we saw play out. Interfaces like natural language conversations. So Amazon's Alexa really you know, grew over the course of the year in terms of its popularity. Certainly everybody has some variation or flavor of that. You know, I love the example of the Alexa talking to the Google Home device. And I don't know if you've seen that on social media, but they're sort of a battle or talk off between the two. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's really definitely played out. And chatbots, I mean, this is something that we're writing a lot about. Conversational UI is definitely something that we're going to continue to do more research and writing around. We sort of identified them, but they're definitely coming into their own and will continue to be trends for 2017 as well. Okay. So as you said, we expect a continuation of many of the trends that really started to gain steam in 2016, continuing in 2017. Any new trends that we see emerging alongside of those trends that will continue in 2017? Yeah, well, I think, you know, emerging alongside or because of. So, Hmm. you know, I did mention conversational interfaces, but that's really, you know, a trend that we're going to see emerging this year. Biometrics, something that we called out a little bit last year, again, becoming more mainstream to help beat up and ease customer experiences, but also for security and being able to, you know, use your voice as your password or doing the thumbprint authentication. Those kinds of biometrics are really uh, something that we're going to see that, so, that, again, played out more this so year. So thumbprint is one, you know, that I can think of easily, right, because on my iPhone, that is, um, you know, how I turn it on or how I access many of the apps. What would be another common application of a biometric, in either in terms of ease or in terms of security? Clear has really emerged in airports uh, over the last year. And that's using your fingerprints, mm-hmm. you know, pre-approved uh, fingerprint identification in order to speed you through uh, security even faster than TSA PreCheck. So certainly that as well as, you know, Nuance is a company that does a lot of work in this area. And they did a speech system that for the New York information line, NYC 311 helped it increase its call center capacity by more than 20%. Oh, wow. So, you know, not only security, but also speed. 
Yeah, no, that's great. And I, uh, clear is to TSA pre-check what TSA pre is to uh, regular security. I exactly. Think, right? <laughs> okay, so that's a continuation, but sort of a deepening or an expanding of one of those 2016 trends. This implies a lot of work on behalf of these companies. So, so what does it look like? What are the implications for CX teams, for staffing, for resources, making all of these trends a reality at these companies? Right. Well, I think certainly designing for the voice recognition, natural language interface, chatbots, all of those things are really conversational UI design is pretty much at its nascent state for many people. And trying to think about how do we have an experience that feels useful and worthwhile to our customers. So there's a kind of design aspect to it and as well as a, a kind of talent pool. So, you know, artificial intelligence is really an in-demand skill and, and uh, group these days. And every time you turn around, you know, a bigger company is snapping up a, a smaller one in an acquisition. So I think, you know, you see large companies staking their claim in these areas, smaller ones emerging to try and help people get into it who maybe don't have all of the technical chops, but then there's going to be a lot of shifting happening in this field, uh, certainly over the next year and, and probably after that as well. One of the other things that we're seeing in terms of internal processes, we noticed the thing last year where several really high-profile innovation labs were disbanding. And it's not necessarily that they were going away, but they were being more absorbed within the organization. New York Times and Nordstrom are both fairly recent ones. I come from a museum background, and the Met Media Lab also shut down last year, um, and the New York Public Library had an innovation lab. But that's not to say that they stopped innovating. I think partly what you're seeing is a desire to bring that closer, or to, to spread it yeah. across the organization. Yeah. And some of the things that we're seeing in terms of how that's happening is dedicated design sprint practice. Mm. So where you're spending a focus period of time doing customer understanding, problem identification, problem solving, prototyping, iteration, and then deciding, okay, is this something worth pursuing? Do we need to, you know, change what the attack that we're taking or is this something that we move ahead with and you're seeing a lot of agencies who are now offering sort of design sprint services as a specific offering as a way to help organizations sort of carve out that yeah. time in order to think about to innovate in a way that they can then keep going into a developed practice as opposed to having innovation being something that sort of happens off on the side that never finds its way into the broader organization. That's interesting. So if I can try to play that back to you, you always hear the reason for an innovation lab or separating it out, right, is that the, the organization would kill it in its, you know, kill the baby in the bassinet, right, before it becomes anything. But then on the flip side, if it is separate, it's hard to integrate it back into right. how the company right. actually does business. So the design sprint methods and the sort of rigor around that is a way of splitting that difference between where we have this defined way that we proceed after innovations that can't be easily you know, snuffed out by the hidebound, tradition-bound organization, but also we're still here. We're right next to them, so it's easy for us to integrate it into what they do if something really promising bubbles up. Exactly. And certainly that's the positive outcome of it. The yeah. negative is if they haven't, you know, integrated or figured out a, a process for integrating in the organization and the, the innovation lab dies, then then it dies. So right. the positive is that it's transforming and evolving into a more proliferated practice as opposed to dying on the vine because of lack of resources. Right. Um, I was really struck by your last section in the report, the what it means or whim as we shorten it to at Forrester section, that winning firms will become more human, which <laughs> maybe isn't a logical conclusion to reach in 
when we're talking about digital customer experiences. So I was wondering if you could just expand on that quickly. Yeah. Well, I'm talking to the culture guy, so yeah, right, exactly. Here I am looking for <laughs> how humans resonate, still right? play a role. Right? Well, and I've, you know, I've, I think I've always been an advocate that the technology is is you know the last thing. It's not the start thing that you start with, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing too. It's putting employees, you know, at the center as well as users at the center. I mean, we're certainly seeing a lot more in terms of development of tools for employees mm. in order to help them help customers. So that's certainly one piece of it. But then things like human-centered design practices, yeah. like design thinking we've been hearing a lot more about over the last couple of years, even though it's been around for quite some time. And part of that is it's this user-centered, human-centered, empathetic, iterative process for problem solving. And that puts the technology not at the forefront, but as a as a sort of form or way of implementing the thing that you're trying to do. No, that's great, and and that makes sense, right? Uh, more enabling of people as 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 employees to deliver the right experience with tools, mm -hmm. but also more emphasis on people and their needs and their you know their idiosyncrasies in when you're designing for them and implementing these technologies. Yeah, and empowering employees with processes that make it so that they break across silos and can work more collaboratively together, mm, yeah. but also so that they understand the customer needs and goals as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, thank you, Allegra, for representing the research that you and many others worked on. Listeners, the report that we'll post a link to in the show notes is called Digital Customer Experience Trends 2017. And Allegra, thanks for joining us. Great, thanks. And uh, depending on when you listen to this, there is also a webinar. Okay, fantastic. That will be taking place in March, toward the end of March. Okay, so you can either go back and find that webinar in the archives if you're listening after March, or look forward to it if you listen to it before the webinar is live towards the end of March. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.